and welcome to this week's edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I am Marty Miller, and I'm here with my dear friend, Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy, how are you today? I'm fantastic, Marty. How are you? Couldn't be any better. You know, we had a great part one last week, and now here we are moving into part two of the hip. We are going to go into the importance of the hip for everyday life and sport. Yes, I'm really excited. I know we got some positive feedback. I was really uh, glad to read some of the comments that you guys left behind for us, as well as some ideas for upcoming webinars. So thank you guys very much for those. And we are extremely excited about part two, because this is really talking about life. Just what happens in life when your hips don't function the way that they're supposed to, and some common issues we hear about, as well as thinking about more kind of digging even deeper, if you will, than what we even talked about last week. I think uh, I think hopefully you guys will enjoy this as, as well. Absolutely. So as we move forward here, we're going to get into, you know, what we see each and every day and go through some cool examples. But first, you know, we'll talk about maybe a little bit of recap of the importance of the hip. So Wendy, do you want to kind of give some of the highlights that we talked about last week? And maybe I'll add a few little bits and pieces in as well. Yeah, I mean, I know that we've, you know, we've kind of have have this on the on the next slide, but you know, it's just basically when you're talking about the hip, you want to think about it being made up of your femur as well as your pelvis. And because of it being a ball and socket joint and it has degrees of freedom, it's not as as you mentioned in part one, it's not as as free as your shoulder because it's definitely um, you know, the ball and socket itself, it's way deeper. Um, however, there are a lot of muscles and, um, you know, small muscles, big muscles, so stabilizers and prime movers that attach and can really cause common compensations that can lead to a lot of dysfunction when we don't focus specifically on the hip. And I know, again, we're going to go into more details about certain things to think about, especially when we're talking about internal rotation, as well as some of the things that are happening at the sacrum and stuff. So, so I'm excited about that. And then of course, you know, as we mentioned too, it's really about the assessment. You guys really want to think about what you're seeing, mark what you see, do some mobility assessments to confirm what you saw. And then also don't forget you can load, you know, load some of these exercises that you're doing and use that as information as well. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in more detail. And then of course, we're going to talk a little bit about understanding the function of the hip in life and in sport. Absolutely. So we'll move forward here mm -hmm. and jump into it. So again, we, we talked about it last week, Wendy, how important the hip is. I think we gave some great examples and hopefully if you watched last week, hopefully you maybe had that in your mindset throughout the week as you were training and doing your own activities. But Wendy, do you maybe want to recap a little bit of what we touched on for the people maybe they're just jumping into part two that of course are going to go back and watch part one? Of course they are. Um, yeah, I mean, the most important, it's one of the most important joints of the body. You guys going to think, obviously, we've got to think about the powerhouse, which is the glutes. So, you know, think about all the muscles when you're walking, when you're jumping, when you're moving, when you're running, you know, it really, a lot of it is coming from the hip. I mean, and if one joint is not um, optimally aligned, it's going to affect everything in the kinetic chain itself. And so if, you know, if the, if something's happening at the ankle, it can affect the knee. If something's happening at the ankle, it can affect the hip and the knee stuck in the middle. If your hip isn't aligned, it can lead to shoulder problems. And so it really is kind of a domino effect. And that's why I think the five kinetic chain checkpoints, as we talk about every week are so important, because if you notice something not 
optimally moving in one joint, it will affect everything up the chain. And so, you know, when you think about the hips, you want to think about, you know, it's, it, it, it is basically what helps stabilize your spine. <laughs> so, you know, that's obviously super, super important. And anytime that you've got, you know, decreased mobility and stability, it's going to lead to obviously your strength and power output, which is why we ideally want to line things up and get the prime movers functioning the way that they're supposed to. So therefore we don't end up with synergistic dominance or all the other, you know, I, all the other terminology that gets to be tries to make us sound smart, but basically where the muscles aren't working the way that they're supposed to work. And so, uh, and so we're going to go into a lot more detail about that as well. Yeah. And when, you know, we can jump on here and this slide, we'll show it through the next slides is, you know, just what happens when your hips not functioning properly, or you can also look at it as maybe someone doesn't know how to engage their hips when you're looking at total body movements. You know, uh, Wendy, I know that you play tennis. I've done martial arts. We both have uh, experimented with that game called golf, you know, <laughs> and anytime you want to create force, it's not from the extremities. And I've got story after story when I worked in professional baseball. Wendy, I know you've had a lot of stories with elite uh, baseball players at that level too, is you know, the shoulder problems, the elbow problems that uh, get immediate attention don't always come from the elbow or the shoulder. That's where the injury shows up. But when there's a hip dysfunction and or other parts of the body, of course, but truly when those hips are not engaged and or producing the force from the ground that they're supposed to, all kinds of bad things can happen. So uh, the hips yes. obviously are such an important part of the kinematic sequence when you're looking at rotational athletics. And, you know, I always, you know, when we look here is, um, you know, if your hips are not engaged and if they're not stabilizing the body, it is so hard to create force through the extremities. Right. And then obviously, as we want to get into rotational power, it's not about how fast I can move my arm at the shoulder by itself. It's not about how hard I can throw a punch just from the arm or how hard you can swing a tennis racket. It's does the hips bring that motion through and then allow the upper extremity to follow through to produce the force uh, of those movements that we're talking about. Absolutely. And I know I, you know, I work with some professional golfers and, you know, we talked a little bit about this in, in part one, you know, I did some Sagonia metric assessments. Now I would do some mobility assessments as well, but you know, when you're lacking internal rotation and you're a golfer, that is a big problem. And so when I often get some of these, these um, folks that come and see me, you know, one of their primary complaints is that they feel like they are, they're, they're just not, being able to move like they used to. And they feel a lot of like um, excessive force and compression to their lower back. And so it's the very, a lot of discomfort. And I want to say pain because I'm not about pain. However, that's basically what it is when I say dysfunction. And, you know, when you are looking at lack of internal external rotation in someone that is a rotational player, especially at that level, then yes, if they're going to actually swing the club, they're going to swing the club. It's just, are they going to swing it utilizing the correct muscles as well as making sure things are firing, you know, the way that they're meant to fire. So Yep. It, uh, it definitely can lead some to some issues. Yeah. And, you know, just myself, if, you know, I'm not the most mobile person when it comes to my hips, you know, no. they're, they're, <laughs> Hey, 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 <laughs> they're not horrible, they, but you know, I do need about another five to 10 degrees and I've been doing some of the, you know, uh, techniques, um, you know, where I'm working on my hip capsule and things like that. And it's just, when you get up from doing those techniques and you, you just feel different, you're like, Oh, okay. 
this is what it's like for my hips to rotate. And, you know, that's why it's so important. And that's why, Wendy, I know you do a lot of your corrective exercise every day. I do my corrective exercise. You know, it's just one of those things that, you know, we're just always working on keeping our body firing properly or moving the right way, whatever term you want to use. But man, when you get up and you get some new motion in a joint that's been restricted for a while, it just feels good. <laughs> it's like, it okay. does feel good. And, you know, yeah. going back to that golfer, the first time I saw him, I'm using one, one person in my mind in particular, I did his internal rotation and Marty, he was at three degrees. Now, remember, ideally they should be at 45. And I so often I'm at at least 15, <laughs> but you know, just, just for you guys to think about this, you know, we often think that because they're at an elite level, um, I mean, this is someone that is currently playing on the PGA and is on tour and they they didn't really, you know, they they didn't get the chance to get themselves into better alignment unless we were doing stuff online. And so when we were reevaluating them, um, it's a scary thought because we were like, OK, this is what you're you're doing when you're measuring someone and you're seeing all of these compensations in the transitional information. And just by loosening up certain muscles and, and specifically like the adductor magnus and those muscles that can lock some of these some of these joints down. And then they got out and they actually incre increased their club head speed. It was amazing to see when it literally took two sessions and all of a sudden they were moving more freely. And then I'm getting calls from their coaches like, what did you do? How did you make that happen? And it was just by being able to identify something that wasn't properly moving correctly. You really can change the lives of everyone, not just an elite player, but, you know, everyone when they walk in to see you just by being able to see it and then knowing how to how to fix it, if you will. Wendy, I'm either going to age us or show that we are pioneers, whichever way you want to look at it. Pioneers. Wow. OK. Pioneers in the movements <laughs> with, with elite sports. But, you know, when we first started working with elite sports back in the early 2000s and I had worked with some elite athletes even before that, didn't really have, to have these concepts down pat yet. But a lot of people just assume elite sports, they move, a, they move fabulous. No, mm -hmm. they move horrifically, most of them, except they're phenomenal compensators, hence why they're great athletes. Now, clearly elite athletes have uh, changed their training over time and we have seen a, a whole movement now towards all or a lot of the elite athletes focused on this. But when we first got in the industry, they were all mostly about how strong can I get? How powerful can I get? They weren't really focused on the human movement science that we're talking about. And it was shocking to a lot of people that we would talk to that you work with these great athletes and they don't move well. Like, no, biomechanically, they don't move well. They're just phenomenal at figuring out how to work around that and still elicit the response they need in their sport. Hence where they get all those injuries, et cetera. So it's really fun now to see more and more people and elite athletes truly understanding the importance of what we've been talking about for so long. Well, I think you bring up another good point because oftentimes I hear this from trainers like, oh, I, you know, I'm working with athletes now. I'm really excited, but I've got to learn more about their sport. And I'm thinking, you know, why? Because they feel like they need to be their coach. And, and, and I really want to stress this because I work with multi, like, you know, all different sports, all different types of sports. And I am not a coach to any of these sports. I look at how the body moves and my job is to help with ideal movement patterns. So therefore, when they go into their sport, they're able to produce more power output long term. And so one of the things that I hear that really makes me cringe is, oh, I'm a trainer. I'm working with a golfer, let's say, just because we brought golf up. 
and he's a left-handed golfer. And so we do a lot of, you know, chops and lifts, you know, working on that rotation and making sure that he can follow through. And I'm thinking he does that so many times throughout the, the day. And then he goes and hits however many buckets of balls and working with his swing coach and working with his pitching coach and working with his, you know, all the different coaches that these golfers have. So they're doing these same repetitive movements and then they come to see you at the gym and then you're having them try to mimic what they're doing. First of all, that doesn't help anyone. If anything, that actually hinders their performance because it is repetitive movement that's feeding into compensations. And so the, one of the best things you can do is actually have them move more towards the right hand way to kind of counteract all of the same movement patterns going from a left-handed, like a left-handed swing. And so it's really kind of taking it and reversing it and then trying to realign things. And that way, when they do get up to the approach and they start swinging, they have power output from both sides versus just their dominant side. And I think that's very important to emphasize that as trainers do the opposite of what they do every day, really focus on the non-dominant side, really think about where their weaknesses lie and you are going to see better outcomes and you're also going to see better movement patterns long term because we're there to kind of undo what they're already doing every day, not hammer them there unless you're hired to be a coach for that that particular sport. Absolutely. And, I, you know, we, we're going to focus on hips, but this would go for any joint in the body that we're talking mm -hmm. about or any movement pattern. You know, and, uh, you know, there's a certain time where, you know, our job is to unload them even though we're taking through stability, strength, and power, as Wendy said, there is, are we really, do we need to do that much more volume of a movement pattern? That's why, Wendy, I love the model. All the answers are there for us, right? We're going to go through the assessments. We're going to go through corrective to stability, to strength endurance, into the power, and, you know, get their body to back to re restoring as ideal human movement as possible so they can go out and do this crazy things that aren't good for them. Because again, I've said this a thousand times as an athletic trainer. I went to school to study athletic injuries because you will get hurt. It's just a matter of when and how severe because we do not play sports because they're good for us orthopedically. So we're just going to rebalance the body. And clearly, the hips have a large part to do with sport performance as well as everyday life. Absolutely. Well, then we can go into the next slide. So that's going to kind of start getting us a little bit deeper. I mean, Marty, this is kind of this is a you explain this very, very well when we're talking about the stretch, you know, the stretch reflex. I mean, you've got a muscle contraction in response to stretching within the muscle. So we've got a picture of a rubber band there and then this runner. So do you want to kind of take us through? It all makes sense. Concept? It does. I, I promise. When you're you looking that. at these pictures, I'm sure everyone, that light bulb just went off. But why don't you kind of Absolutely. talk us through a little bit about the uh, stretch reflex here? Yeah. Well, normally <laughs> we would put this into our live workshop. We would have you guys do this. Um, so you know, the key thing here is we are going to talk about everyday life. So clearly in this picture on the right, you see ideal form there in that sprinter. So his goal is to project himself down the track, you know, as we're looking at it to my right. So when we look at human movement, and human propulsion, one, when we look at the hips, we understand that the hips, and we've covered this in other uh, workshops and webinars and content, that we're looking for those two parallel lines between the lower body and upper body. And that would show you that you have ideal motion at the hips and you can load properly. So normally the way I would generally teach this is if we were all together in a live workshop, I'd ask everyone to stand up. So if you want to do it here, if you're driving, don't attempt this right now. <laughs> yeah, please safety don't. safety please first. <laughs> but if you're in a place that's safe, feel free to stand up. And the only goal that I have here is for you 
is you're going to jump in a second. But the only rule I have is I want you to fully contract your quads and extend your knees. Now try to jump, right? It's impossible. Yeah, you, if you have unbelievable plantar flexion, maybe you'll get off the ground a little bit. So I asked you to go up, but the first thing you wanted to do was come down. Even though I didn't give you those instructions, your natural ability was to sink down to propel yourself in the opposite direction. And the reason you want to do that, you can sit back down now if you like, is because you're trying to stretch your glutes mainly to propel yourself in the opposite direction. So that's what we're trying to do with that rubber band is if I want to propel it and fling it across the room, I have to pull it in the opposite direction first to get load into that as an elastic energy produced force in the opposite direction. So that's where the hips play a huge part of human movement is if the hips are functioning properly and we have the right biomechanics and we can load the hips properly, I can propel myself, whether that's walking up the stair, handling the eccentric, maybe going down a stair or loading, uh, getting onto a, a plyo box, jumping, running, etc. So this is where that stretch reflex comes in through all the muscles of your body that to try to, to produce force, you stretch the muscle in the opposite direction to propel yourself forward. It's just how far do you stretch it and how rapidly do you stretch it and how rapidly do you release the stretch to how much power you need to produce. So that's simply in the easiest sense what the stretch reflex is. And obviously the hips are going to play a huge component in that as it comes to propelling ourselves in everyday life. Very well done, Marty. I was wondering uh, how you're, I know how you do it in a workshop and I was like, oh, okay, picture this. <laughs> Exactly. And uh, I think I very, I mean, I have, I, there's really nothing more I can add to that. I think you uh, did a great job on that one. So I appreciate um, that. I try once a, once a round table, I try to get that compliment. That's I know. It. I think that was, that was your moment. That was your moment. Okay. I can check out <laughs> guys. Enjoy Wendy for the rest of the round table. I'll be here just, you know, hanging out. Oh my goodness. <laughs> All right. So we move on to the next slide. Um, we want to kind of, you know, go into a little bit more detail when we're talking about the hip. And, you know, we have an example of an individual that's playing basketball. And when you're looking at this person, there's two things that you want to think about. And that's why I think it kind of brings us back to the assessment. And for me and for what I do, because I do work a lot with basketball players, I will do a lot of the transitional movement assessments. And then, of course, I do mobility. And then I actually do some dynamic as well. Um, because I want to know when I look at this picture, I would be like, oh man, you know, their feet are going in, their knees are going in and he's got a shift to his right. And, you know, when I look at this picture, however, if you look at a lot of basketball players, the way that they move and the way that they play are actually two different things. And so when they were taught as little guys to go and work their way up to the NBA, they might have learned to shoot a certain way in order to get the like like you were talking about the propulsion as well as like the the extensibility within their body to get the arc of the ball wherever it needs to go in order to get into the basket or to whoever they're shooting it to so when you think about that you don't want to take just a picture you want to confirm it with an assessment because this right here is scary when i look at knee valgus when i see the knees coming in this this much however if they don't have knee valgus or their knees going in when they're actually doing their assessment, then I just know it's sports related and that's his technique in shooting. And so that's why you've got to think when you're doing the assessment, that assessment is going to confirm or deny what you think you're going to see. Cause I would assume I'm going to see one thing based on this picture, 
but you don't also or automatically want to assume that until you put them in the five kinetic chain checkpoints and see where they deviate. And I think that's really, really important um, when you're when you're working, especially with people at this level. And um, and that could be with anyone, because if they're doing repetitive movements over time, that's going to be their new norm. You're probably going to see that. However, how many times are they going up to shoot? I don't know. It depends on their practice, what they're doing, you know, what they're doing within the gym, which a lot of these guys, you know, you want to think they get up, they have early morning practices with their shooting coach. They would come see me. I would do manual therapy on them. I would actually put them through their training. Then they would actually go play a pickup game. So how much are they shooting like this? I don't know. But my job in between the two of the shooting as well as their playing was to realign the body for proper movement patterns. So therefore, when he did go and play, I was helping prevent injuries of the same recurring movement that he had just done an hour and a half prior to seeing me. And so so that's what I say. You want to kind of be the in between of knowing what is their sport? How do they shoot? And then what can you do to correct that in order to strengthen the opposing muscles um, so therefore, it's not going to lead to injury, um, no matter what they're doing, hopefully within that game or or that practice. And so, you know, Marty, Marty that kind of really brings us into the importance of hip internal rotation. So do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So when we go into a hinge, like a squatting pattern, the femur doesn't just stay neutral. The femur does go into internal rotation. And there's a lot of structures. We mentioned it briefly uh, in part one that, yeah, we all know the muscles, but there's ligaments and there's capsules. There's other structures that provide stability. So if somebody has a tight hip capsule and they go to, into that squatting pattern and after hip socket, the ball doesn't rotate internally in that as they go into hip flexion, the other motion's going to have to come out, whether it's knees go out, whether they get excessive motion from their lumbar spine, but a lack of motion somewhere will elicit motion somewhere else. So just understand that as you go into a squat, your hip, your femur does go into slight internal rotation up to about 30 degrees. And if you do not have that due to, again, we could spend a whole time on, well, it's the length of my femur. Well, maybe, maybe not. It's the size of the head of my femur. It's am I introverted, introverted, all that, whatever it is. If you don't have that 30 degrees, you're going to end up with some other type of faulty movement pattern. So we're going to control what we can control. We're going to go into and again, through the mobility assessments and the overhead squat assessment, we're going to know what soft tissue to work on and or and lengthening and or what strengthening activation integration techniques we need to do. So everyone can improve their hip intonation to a certain degree. Not everyone will get to 45 degree because there are anatomical issues, but let's rule that out and let's at least get everybody as much hip internal rotation that they can get through the soft tissue into the um, activation integration. And that way you'll prevent as many low back and hip or knee injuries as possible. Mm -hmm. And that kind of brings us back to when we talk about low back pain. I mean, that's a very common complaint that you're going to get from people. Um, and, and when I say complaint, they're going to say that they have low back pain. Again, you're going to ask if it's pain, shooting pain and stuff we don't really deal with. However, we're talking about discomfort, really. Um, and, you know, you want to look at something as simple as the piriformis. And so, for example, if you notice in someone's overhead squat that their feet turn out and you're going to notice that 
that, you know, maybe their knees bow out or maybe they, they cave in, you know that there's probably some issues at the TFL. But oftentimes the piriformis is this little muscle that attaches to your sacrum that's in your back. I mean, there's other things that you want to think about, too, because you've got, you know, your sacrotubrious ligament. You've got other things that obviously are going to play an important role um, in some of these other things that are happening at the hip complex. But the piriformis itself, we call it the enormous piriformis, which is super small, but it does the job of the glute max a lot of time or even the glute med because it's not firing and, and working the way that it's supposed to work. This little guy will take over. And depending on your genetic makeup, you've got to think that your um, sciatic nerve either runs through it or beside it. And so if that muscle gets in a short and overactive position, it can cause impingement to that one particular area. And then obviously where it inserts, you got to think about your sacrum. And as you actually go into, you know, movement, your sacrum is supposed to actually move with you, whether it's slight rotation or extension. And if that gets locked down, then you're going to think about what's happening. That part itself locking down can influence the decreased power production in your glute, but also increase mobility in your lumbar spine. Well, you don't want necessarily mobility in your lumbar spine you want stability there and so when you're looking at the spine itself you want to think that you want stability in your cervical spine mobility in your lumbar or your thoracic spine and stability in your lumbar spine but if you start to lock certain areas down that should be mobile then you're going to have to get mobility somewhere and it's usually coming from your spine which is going to lead to a lot of issues long term and so that's what we mean by that one little section there that look at the little muscles that could be making a big impact whether low back pain low back discomfort get the glutes to fire that and we keep talking about realignment and positioning your assessment will really dictate what you should do in order to help some of these issues that are easily preventable by just knowing if you see this then really start to work on lengthening these particular muscles and strengthening the others. Absolutely. It just all comes back down to the assessment and understanding the anatomy and then just having that plan, which we'll probably talk about maybe at the final thoughts, but. <laughs> well, and, you know, when we talk, you know, we even, you know, we often say this about the, the upper body, which you'll see, you know, as well, think about the, the fascial tissue from your lower back that's actually, you know, think about your, your lats are coming out of that. And so if you have an anterior pelvic tilt, you've got compression on your lumbar spine, your lats are going to be in a shortened position, which if you're looking at the transitional assessments and you're looking specifically at the overhead squat, if you see someone and they have an anterior tilt and rounded shoulders, then you know their lat is in a shortened position. By just getting some extensibility on that one muscle alone, you could help two specific compensations right there. I mean, it may not be the end all be all, but just getting a little bit more length than that one particular muscle and then work on obviously elongating things that are happening in the, 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 um, you know, front part or the anterior portion of your upper body. So your pec minor, pec major, all those other muscles, all of that can really help with some of these compensations, but did it come from the shoulder or did it come from the hip? Well, check out the lats, see if it cleaned up. It could come from both. <laughs> exactly. Just want to throw all that in there. Yeah. So if we go to the next slide, Marty, why don't you, why don't you lead us into that one? I will be happy to. So the glute max and glute medius, very important muscles uh, from a performance standpoint. And again, performance could be, you know, somebody in their seventies, just being able to do everything that they want to do, or it could be somebody that's trying to be an elite athlete or anybody in between just trying to make sure that they get a good exercise program in. So it helps with knee tracking. So the glute max and glute medius, they help stabilize the knee. 
So if you've got an anterior tilt or even a posterior tilt or the glutes are weak, a lot of dysfunction can happen at the knee. We're not here to cover all that, but a lot of times uh, if somebody has the itises of the knee, whether it's bursitis, tendonitis, or the anterior knee pains, and this is not because of a fall, probably the glute is not doing its job. There could be other structures, of course, at the foot and ankle as well as Wendy already talked about, but we can tell you that there's going to be something in the pelvis that is not allowing that knee to stay in position. Then it helps reduce eccentric load. So again, depending on what clientele you work with, uh, it's ironic, you know, outside of elite sports, I worked in a private country club. So uh, I had a lot of what I call my senior athletes because everybody's an athlete and they would come and see, yeah, my knee's been hurting. And I said, well, let me guess, does it hurt to walk down the stairs more than up the stairs? And they're like, yes, they thought I was a genius. I'm like, no, I just know that when I go down a stair, that eccentric or the lengthening under tension, if my glutes and my muscles in my, in my around my pelvis can't lower there's going to be more load to the knee than when I'm walking up the stairs. So again, when I'm landing, jumping, running, when I hit the ground, every time I run that glute has to stabilize the pelvis and helps accept some of that eccentric load. So there's less trauma or less stress through the kinetic chain checkpoints in the lower extremity, stabilize the lumbar spine. If you have an anterior pelvic tilt, you're not in neutral. If you have a posterior pelvic tilt, you're not in neutral. So the glutes are huge stabilizers of the pelvis helps reduce hamstring injuries. So if I have an anterior tilt, now my glutes not firing, it's not in the right position. My hamstring is in a lengthened position. So biomechanically it's going to be weakened, but if I have to get into hip extension and the glute can't do all of its work that it's supposed to, glutes going to work some, but if it's not efficient, guess what has to help? The hamstring muscles, whether I have to be pulled into extension or de uh, eccentrically decelerate hip flexion, right? The glute is supposed to be the prime mover. Well, this is where we get a lot of hamstring issues. Also uh, can uh, help with adductor strains. So I was in the gym, Wendy, not too long. I think I told you a story is I had a, a friend of mine, when I say friend, somebody met in the gym, because if he was that good of a friend, I wouldn't let him do this exercise, but <laughs> he was doing a heavy, I'm just joking. I, I, I try actually to tell him to be careful that he was doing a heavy leg press, he had his feet way out, right? To get more depth. And as he came down, boom, he popped and he heard an audible pop, ended up, you know, I helped him obviously, um, you know, what I could at that point in time, but had an adductor longest strain because again, the adductors also do motions at the hip. So if your glute can't do its job, whether it's eccentric or concentric, other muscles have to help either stabilize the pelvis or do that work. So you can have a lot of adductor sprain, strains due to weak and inhibited glutes. And then just ideal posture just helps hold us upright. So the glutes are without a doubt one of the most important muscles in the body to reduce all of these issues that we talked about. I think this one is this this slide to me is one of the most important slides and exactly how you 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 know you explained it because Oftentimes, especially when you had just said that about the hamstring injuries, those were so common because when people are in an anterior pelvic tilt, which is a very, very common compensation, especially with individuals that are extreme, like that love to run and their hip flexors are overactive or that sit all day or a combination of both, then, um, you know, when people feel 
their hamstrings, but Marty, my hamstrings, they feel so tight. And we have talked about this in previous webinars, but guys, remember if when Marty said they're in a lengthening or weakened state, that means they're lengthened from end to end. And if I have a string and we pull it and you can kind of pluck it, then you're going to think about, it's going to feel like it's tight, but it's actually taut. And the worst thing you can do is stretch that. And again, that, that, reiterates the importance of the assessment because just by lengthening the hip flexors and strengthening the glutes that will help the neutral position of the actual hip complex so your hamstrings can go back to their normal length versus being in a lengthened stressed state and then the same thing with the adductor strains i see this one unfortunately often because the adductor magnus has posterior uh, fibers um you know there's anterior fibers as well but the posterior fibers specifically are the ones that usually take over for activation of the glutes when 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 the the hip isn't positioned correctly and if you can really loosen that up it can because of its insertion and stuff on the pubis can really get the glutes to fire correctly and actually stop pulling on the inner thigh when people are like oh gosh i feel this weird pain or watch how this is my favorite watch how hard i can squeeze my glutes because I'm trying to get my clients to fire their glutes when they're in a prone position and they dig their heels in. Guys, remember, we have their feet spread shoulder to hip width apart. So therefore, when their heels come together, that's usually a compensation where they're trying to cheat and use their adductor magnus more than their glute max. And so another important, important cue of why we keep the feet straight, especially in a prone position, is because we want to make sure that everything is firing correctly and you're not compensating to show some extra squeeze that really isn't isn't what you're looking for. <laughs> See, for me, where I remember now in retrospect about the adductor magnus, starting out in high school, you know, weightlifting club and all the way through powerlifting, two days later after we squatted, you would sit down and way underneath, you would be like, oh, my, my glutes are so sore. I'm like, dude, that's not your glute. <laughs> right. That's your adductor magnus. But look, think looking back that that weird pain you'd have deep underneath your glutes. That was your adductor madness saying, hey, that was a heck of a workout. Too bad your glutes didn't show up that day. Because I, I I, don't know if I've ever met somebody that's like, oh, my glutes are so, right? You just, I don't know if you can fatigue them because most people compensate. I'm not giving anybody a challenge. But most people get that doms in their adductor magnus thinking that that was a phenomenal workout. And think about what we just did. We just totally trained the wrong muscle the entire time. Yeah. I mean, I can say that I've had some sore glutes in the past. Now I'm hoping that it's the right muscle, but I don't know. I, I mean, I guess I'll have to go back and try that again. Oh, yes. <laughs> no, I absolutely do. I absolutely yes. do. But if we go to the next slide um, and we talk about relative flexibility and unfortunately I was the queen of relative flexibility because I did gymnastics um, pretty much my whole life. And so in gymnastics, we would sit in the splits. We would, I would do my homework in the splits. I would do everything pretty much in the splits when I could. Um, and so when you think about that, um, what's happening at the hip, then, you know, my adductors obviously were in a very lengthened state, but think about what's happening on, on my actual outer hip. They were in a shortened position. However, I would tumble, I would cheer, I would do all this stuff. And I was super flexible, but not necessarily in the right areas. And long term, I ended up having, now that I'm older, I'm paying the consequences of that because I didn't have the right training. I did exactly what I was supposed to do at the time, but now I'm smart enough to be like, oh, 
And I remember when I first, and this was 21 years ago when I met Dr. Clark, I stood with my feet in external rotation together and like the dance stance. And he was like, this cannot happen. This is not, not good. And, but that was my normal. That's how I like to stand. That's what my hips like to do. And it took me literally three months. And Marty, you've heard me say this of learning what a foam roller was, because remember, Mike is pretty much the one that we say brought it into fitness. And so I was one of those people that were trying to figure out this foam roller and learning how to use it, learning how to apply it and learning a lot about the importance of ideal alignment. And it took me three months to feel like I wasn't walk walking pigeon toed and actually getting the right muscles to fire at the right time. And so we've all been there. And, you know, your body is always going to seek the path of least resistance and it's going to do what it knows. And so if it just knows compensation, that's our normal. We weren't necessarily born that way. We've just done it for so long. That's what our what's common and what feels good to us. But it doesn't mean it's the right thing. And so, you know, as you guys are going through this education and you're learning more and more, you guys are understanding now the importance of that. However, when you look at some of these pictures, you're going to have to think, what do people do all day and what's their norm? Because as a mom of a four-year-old, I still hold my little guy because he's tiny. He only weighs 36 pounds. And so I can still pick him up and carry him around and, and love on him. But I do. I'm, I'm the picture on the left where you see the lady holding her little guy and you've got a hip out. Because if not, he'll slide right down, right? You've got to give him a little ledge to sit on unless you're holding him in the front and knowing that. But if, if you're a side holder, this is very, very common for moms. And so when they complain of low back pain, you've got to think, where's their hip in position to what's normal? And then, Marty, I mean, you can take us through some of these sports, but I wanted to point that out because I've been there and relative flexibility is real. It's very real. And it's hard, hard to, to accept that when that's what you like to do and that's what feels good. Yeah. So, I mean, we could go through all kinds of different sports, but, you know, let's just remember there's sport technique and then there's proper biomechanics from human movement. Going back to what I said last time is as an athletic trainer, I went to school to study these sports because athletes get injured. They don't do them because they're the best things biomechanically from the way we were designed. Biomechanics, you, I worked with elite uh, baseball teams and you could hear from a pitching coach and talk about maybe how technically right this pitcher is, but that doesn't mean that his body is going to thank him later on in life. So our job is to make them move well so they can go handle a certain amount of this load and then we keep fixing them so they can go back out. We don't want to feed into these. So that's the relative flexibility. And again, if we want to look at the catcher for the deep squat, yeah, if you're a catcher, get him into a deep squat. But you notice he doesn't have 250 pounds on his back because there's a deep squat for positional, for a sport. And then there's why would I want to go that deep into a squat loaded if I'm trying to train my glutes and my hip complex safely. So, you know, just remember that just because somebody can do it in sport doesn't mean I would want to maybe overload that in a strengthening phase for their fitness program or just a generalized fitness program. And then this poor gentleman here picking up the box, you could say that maybe he doesn't have the right hip mobility to get to that and pick up that box appropriately. So because he has a lack of mobility, he's got to have relative flexibility in his upper body to offset maybe what he doesn't have from the motion of his pelvis. So this is why, again, we just go back through and try to get people to move as well as possible, go through the different phases of training, and then you're going to get the best outcomes. Absolutely. And remember, strengthen the other side. <laughs>
if they live in this position and they have to do it all the time, don't worry about anything unless obviously they need better flexibility in certain things to be greater, you know, have a greater outcome in their performance. However, you can work on what they could do in their sport, but then also strengthening for ideal alignment truly will. And I can't emphasize this enough. It truly helps power production. Long-term power production injury, like the injury rates will decrease because you're helping them counter, you know, kind of go against. And like Marty, you've said, we are actually like mechanics to cars that when they go on a, a track, how fast can they go? How much are you wearing, tearing them? Our job is to go and be the mechanic, fix them up before they go back out and do the same thing over and over again. So we're kind of like the pit crew, if you will, um, for anyone in a professional sport um, or anyone that's having to do a specific job. Like someone, Marty, you had said something about like, you know, UPS and FedEx guys, they're constantly moving boxes and lifting boxes and driving all day. These are repetitive motions. And so helping people like that, um, you know, it's it's amazing what you can do with just having a good blueprint of what direction you should go in in order to help anyone. Yep. Absolutely. So let's go to our last or next slide. I shouldn't say our last slide, but our next slide. Um, oh, shocker. What do, you know? what do you know? So I'll just easily talk through this. Marty and I will have this probably in every webinar we've ever done or will do. Um, because guys, it really having the model will help. And like I said, you've got the blueprint of what they need based on the assessment. Now you've got the actual like recipe book right there in front of you by utilizing the model. You know, it really does tell you tempo plays and all the acute variables basically, but tempo rep ranges, that kind of thing will really help give them the stabilization um you know, the working on the stabilizers that they need, actually building up to strength and building up to power because you're only as strong as you are stable and you're only as 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 um, as strong as or powerful as you are strong. And so really the stair step plays a role into every program that you do. So professional athletes should not start in phase five. Professional athletes should have an assessment done and they should have their compensations worked on first utilizing the CES or utilizing phase one and stabilization and foundation movements first. That's why I love the model, Wendy. I'm telling you, me too. Why we do what we do, Marty. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So we move on to the next slide. I got to get that in there once a, a round table, right? I know. Right. Marty, why don't you talk about the key takeaways? I know these are shockers for anyone that uh, has been on any of our 50 plus master instructor roundtables, but you know, when it ain't, when it's not broke, don't fix it. Right. So obviously you got to know the muscles, the joints, what you're, you know, what's the goal? What are you trying to target? Understand the, uh, you know, biomechanics as Wendy mentioned, I think last week, you know, you don't have to know the origin insertion, but you have to know what those joints are uh, capable of doing in the uh, available ranges of motion. Obviously, we have to assess. If you're not assessing, you're guessing. It doesn't have to be a real long assessment. We talked last week how you get in the mobility assessments just to really hone in on what this individual needs. And then obviously, we got to work on the areas to help correct faulty movement patterns. We don't want to feed into faulty movement patterns. We want to feed into correcting movement patterns. And then obviously, they have to earn their phases of training. If they're not ready for the other phases, it's your job to make the workout fun and engaging and challenging for them appropriately, but they have to earn the right to go through the other phases or move into those other phases of training and then have a plan. The model is your plan, which is great. And then obviously, you know, the only other thing we can add in there is have fun with it. So, and next week we will have some fun designing programs. 
Yes, I want to uh, to reiterate. I think next week will be good. I hope you guys do turn in. Um, I think it's it's important to note that you know we're going to actually take you know multiple compensations, especially that are occurring at the hip, and really trying to help kind of cue through specific exercises that you could do to help kind of knock two you know two major things happening out with just one program, and then building off of that program. So so please tune in. We would be we'd love to have you here. I think um, you guys will get a lot of benefit out of it, we hope anyway. But if uh, if you guys have any questions or want to contact me, if you go to the next slide, you can see my information. It's just at wendy.bats at nasm.org, or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And then for me, my email, marty.miller at nasm.org, and Instagram is dr.martymiller72. So Wendy, once again, thank you for uh, working here with me on this. It's always fun, and I look forward to part three. Sounds great. See you guys next week. Take care, everybody.